Welcome and thank you for tuning in to Organon, the official podcast of Ology Research Group, exploring contemporary social issues via data, insights, and change. In 2016, a researcher from Columbia University's Teachers College published a study which discovered that high school students' grade uh, in science improved after they learned about struggles of renowned scientists such as Einstein and Marie Curie while students who only knew about scientists' successes experienced declines in their grades. On this episode, we reflect and explore the concept of goal-setting and failures, setbacks, and achievements, and how struggling has helped us in our personal and professional endeavors. Here to talk about this topic from New York City, Carl Etemendi. And Jasmine Etemendi. And recording from Los Angeles... Hey there, Casey Shab. And Courtney Hirose. Jasmine, take it away. This topic is very dear to me because I always think about failure as an opportunity to grow and learn from. And this is part of my conflict resolution lens on how we can learn how conflict is not always a bad thing. And so failure for many or for many of us seems some things that we shy away from on how we, we look at things or how we're being judged or perceived. I think failure has many different aspects within our personal life, our professional life, and then also our families, like how we deal with certain things and relationships. For for me, I've learned that when it's in the workplace, you know, there's different types of failures and how, you know, in depending on my role, how I'm accountable for certain pieces and then understanding that, you know, these are opportunities for, for me to grow and also to um, shape what's going on within the organization for moving forward, like how to, you know, think about ways of doing a different program if it didn't work out or different outcomes and what, what do we really want to do. In a relationship, failure can be something where you have misaligned um, values. For example, if you are dating somebody who just wants to have a good time and you're looking for something serious, then there, it's going to be a failed relationship because you're forcing it to work. And you guys have, there's two different ideas on what the relationship is. So I think it's very important nowadays to be clear on what you want and like learn from those mistakes or, you know, different things because you can have a practical perspective on it. So those are some insights from me. And now I'd like to hear from Courtney. Um, I, so just from a failure perspective, I preach it to my team too, that if they are failing any kind of, it's not, I wouldn't consider it as a failure. If you're comfortable, then you're not growing. I have a super cheesy quote that I like to live by where it's like comfort is the enemy of achievement. So with that, you have to fail or else you're not going to do particularly well. So it's getting used to that uncomfortable is what's really going to help you strive in the long term because if you're good at everything all the time, you're going to stay in the same place. And no one really wants to be, stay in the same place because I think the way our society and like America is set up is everyone kind of wants to move forward and do different things and kind of that quote unquote vision of success. You know, like harping on what you're saying is what I found interesting about Columbia study is that um, just going a little bit in depth is that 
when the students were primed into looking at successful people in terms of just their accomplishments, what they found was that that actually caused stress on the student and it lowered the grade point average on the long terms. But what they found was that when those successful people were able, when they, when the students were able to learn that like the failures and the challenges and the heartache of the really successful people that we come to admire, we, we end up humanizing them. And then because of that, the students were able to say, Hey, I can relate and I can, and I'm not a failure. It's just a learning for me. And I think, um, what we have a tendency to when we fail is we look at successful people and we forget all the heartaches that they got to get there and we focus on the ending the results um from my perspective i feel like courtney and uh, jasmine like god you guys are awesome i love working with you guys because <laughs> like you have a very positive look at failure like for me it's gruesome it's hard and it's, like so painful and it's depressing and like i get really anxious and i get really sad and like for me, to this year my biggest failure is relationships, or like success. Like I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty, but sometimes dating, you don't feel so pretty. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like what you make. You don't think I'm cute, and then, uh, and then, oh, when you're rejected, and that feeling of just like not enough. It's just like every time when something doesn't work, you have to remind yourself that you know that you're okay. You know, and um. I feel like for me, that's my biggest challenge this year is like, how do I learn to love myself and know that when things don't work is not necessarily means that I'm, I failed or I'm failed at having relationships. And like, what does that entail? Like, how do I like keep myself positive and know that, you know, like what Courtney was saying that it's not really failing, it's just learning. And I think I'm wondering, you know, what are your biggest failures this year? By you, I mean Carl. I'm looking at you right now. I can't tell. Um, well, I mean, in terms of failures that I've had this year, maybe I should probably steer clear from them because uh, they might be. Well, I like how it, it just came up that failure is also like a learning opportunity as well. So if you really shift that perception of failure being this catastrophic thing where you just kind of kneel down and there's lightning behind you and you're like no and you convert it into a learning opportunity then it's kind of like um, you're shaping uh, what could be something that's a little closer to what you perceive to be perfection um, over you know in the long term because like even if it if it uh, if it's with dating for example two people come to the table and the goal is to have a quote-unquote successful relationship or one that can last for a while or forever um, but then I think it's better to learn from the very beginning that 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 person is not compatible with you than to live kind of like miserably and to try to make the person be this thing you want them to be when they're not really going to change. So that's just my my. Well, let me push back on you because um, I challenge you to give me a failure that you had not this year, but the biggest failure you had. And how did you overcome that? And like, what was your mental processes because i feel like when people talk about failure like this it's so generic this feel mm-hmm. like a cliche it just it doesn't feel right and um i guess for me when i'm experiencing failure right now it's it's grueling it's hardening like it's disgusting almost like mm-hmm. where was that moment for you 
For me, my biggest failure was in my transition between, like, out of high school. When when I was in ninth, tenth grade, I kind of was I was inspired by some people I knew from the army to go into the military. So I was like, I'm gonna join the military if it's the last thing I do. And <laughs> I started doing JROTC in high school. Mm-hmm. I did two years of army ROTC um, in high school. And I also, at the same time, uh, did two years of our, it, it was a program with the Air Force called Civil Air Patrol. And it's basically mm-hmm. a, a pilot um, institute. So I started that even before I graduated high school. So I literally had two uniforms. I had a green uniform for the army um, courses. And then I had to switch into my blue one for my after school Air Force ones. So I was very determined that that's exactly what I was going to do. I was going to go to the military, 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 military. Um, I even okay. started doing like personal training with some with some friends who were going to go to the military. There was like a group of us that were going to go. Now, mm-hmm. um, what ended up happening was that um, I started being recruited by multiple branches and I started kind of teasing all the recruiters to and making them think that I was going to join their branch. I started off with National Guard and then moved with to Army and then I transitioned to Marine Corps and I was like, I'm going to join the friggin' Marine Corps. If I'm going to go to the military, wow. I'm going to do this all the uh-huh. way. And they're like, and they're like, what's your what's what MOS do you want? And MOS is like a, a um, an abbreviation for the type of job you want. And I said, infantry, I'm going to do this all the way. If I'm going to do it right, I'm going to do it right. So what ended up happening? Well, what, what is it being infantry? Just because I'm not a military person. Like everyone starts in infantry or? No, it's your job. You, 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 you pick which job you want. It's normally dictated by your ASVAB score, which is like a, the SAT for the military. And you can, if you join infantry, usually you get a bigger sign up bonus on the front end. And a lot of people are enticed to do that, but it's like first, first wave to, to go to, um, to war, basically. Um, and I was determined to do it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to get trained and then I'm going to do this. And then after I'm going to continue my, um, my ambitions to try to pursue something in healthcare, you know, maybe become like a physician for the military, whatever. Now, what ended up happening was that when I went to go swear in for the Marine Corps at what's called MEPS, Military Entrance Uh Processing Station, I did my physical and everything. My file was with another branch, which was the Mm -hmm. Army. So the first branch Mm -hmm. that I had originally started my recruitment process with. So it started an issue because normally people don't hop from branch to branch like that. And it caused several delays that affected my ability to go when I wanted to. And here mm-hmm. was kind of like almost missing the mark on being able to enroll in school too. So I was like working in a, like a mall job and I was like, okay, I wanted to go to the military, but this is not going to happen when I wanted it to. And I didn't enroll in time to get into a, um, you know, like a state school. So I'm kind of screwed. So what I ended up doing is I, I sought, um, a degree program with rolling admissions, which was business. So I was able to hop on um, later in the year and do that. And I kind of, I was very disappointed and I considered it a failure because I was very determined to do this one thing, which was my goal. But I ended uh-huh. up having to do something else, not which not entirely because it was my, my preference to do so. 
but I got, I was so like angry at myself for not having done the recruitment process the right way, like how people normally mm. do it by the books that yeah. I like pushed myself extremely hard with school. So I finished mm-hmm. my bachelor's degree program in two years and 10 months. And after that, I was kind of like hungry for more. Like I didn't feel that I accomplished enough. Whereas I think if I would have gone to the Marine Corps, it would have been like, yeah, this is what I wanted to do. So this is sufficient. So then mm-hmm. I did the master's degree right away. I did the PhD right away. And then I think now I'm kind of getting to the point where or, or maybe I guess I've gotten over it. And I sit back and I'm like, you know what? I think I did OK. Right. Uh, despite the fact that I didn't um, pursue what I originally wanted to when I was in high school. Um, you know, cause I wasn't like a star athlete or anything like that. Didn't have a good GPA. Uh, so I didn't really think I was going to do well in school. The end. Wow. Thank you for your failure. Next, <laughs> Jasmine. <laughs> Time for you to dish it out, girl. What was the most thing that you like, I wouldn't say regret, but what was, what was your biggest failure? I mean, I guess, I don't know if it's, I guess it could be like a failure, but when, I guess when, when, like the first, the first two years in, like, in being married, um, Mm -hmm. like for me, it was kind of like, I was, you know, we were still, like, we were like learning about what marriage was about and being, you know, we're still, so I think for me, it was more of like how, how can you still like learn to cultivate your relationship even though now when you get married you have like all these things that are happening like you're working so many hours Mm -hmm. you're doing so many things so like for me it was more about this like dormant kind of thing that was happening um in like a relationship where it was like okay i'm overlooking this and i don't know why um and it was just basically like creating time for for you and your partner so I think like that was one thing that was that was you know it just like it became like you know we're both grad students we're both going to school we're working we're we're doing a bunch of things but then we still have this thing that's called like this partnership and how do we cultivate that so I think like for me it was like that was a point where I learned like you know how important it is like to once even in in the relationship to still be able to cultivate it because there was a point where it got like it was kind of shaky because there was some you know just you felt distant and it felt like it was more of a reflection moment so for um you know that was one of the moments where like we decided to talk about what we needed to do um and then I have like this quote that I use all the time and it's basically um you don't give up on the ones you love and so you know when you're going through these times like you're like okay things happen but then if you really want to make it work how do you you know what are you going to do do you want to make this work or not because if not then you know there needs to be decisions hard decisions that need to be made so I think like that was a point where it was it was more like you know there's like statistics show that within within like two or five years of a of a of any relationship and even like more of a formal relationship if you're not putting in the time um it it is like you know most people separate and so you know that was something that was important for 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 us to learn about how 
you know, you need to be engaged in each other's lives and being more to cultivate it because then you create like this dormant thing that nobody's talking about that's just there. Um, and so yeah. how to not make it transactional anymore, like a partnership. Um, and so mm-hmm. how to like inter, you know, inter- intertwine and like do things together and like share more more roles and understand each other instead of like before like historically you know couples do their own things and you kind of don't spend a lot of time with each other so i think like now we've mastered that and that's we we've come like a long way compared to to uh, you know to towards some of those things that were hard so next stage doctored in relationship philosophy yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah phd 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 <laughs> But it's true. I mean, it's it is like it's a you know the learning experience with with their, with with relationships overall because there is no like set just like even with parenting. A lot of my friends tell me like there is no book on how to parent. You know, like there is, but there's no like criteria that's step one, step two, step three. It's like just with any relationship, it's not like that either. And I'm telling you, the the whole five love languages thing is like on point. When it comes to mm-hmm. relationships, and I've never forgotten them either. Gift giving, acts of service, physical touch, quality time, and um, I forgot the words of one. affirmation. Words of affirmation, yeah. So it's like about finding out which of those are important to you and that you need to receive, and identifying which ones you give because it's kind of like a key. You know how the key has like like jagged edges. It's like you you fuse. Um, like you, when you're working at it at a relationship, you kind of those two things match like perfectly when there's an incompatibility. Like if you need somebody to be there uh, with you, like f- physically, you have to like spend time with the person and you're in a relationship with like a pilot. Like that's not going to work out. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So it's a, like it, it goes back to kind of like reshaping the thinking from going from failure to a learning experience. You just have to do that. And then I think. The more you do that, the more you realize like who you are and what you need and what you give. And then I think that's those are the ingredients to finding uh, um, like to, to being successful, quote unquote, in finding somebody. Do you think a question about that language of love is do you, is it what you give or what you need? Are, are, are those one and the same? So can you like uh, get what you need, like words of affirmation, but you give out like active service? They don't is, have. Is that possible? Yeah, I don't think they have to be the same things. Like, like let's say Casey, you uh, like I can like from knowing you these last couple of years, I think that um, what you give like um, is like acts of service. Let's say. Right. Mm-hmm. You're very like service based, like, oh, let me do this for you. Let me cook this for you. Let me take you here. Let me take you there. Right. You're very giving mm-hmm. in that way. So f- all about the service. I'm going to give it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so you're like a, an acts of service kind of person. And that's like your dominant love language. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. somebody who fits better, like best with you values that as a recipient. So they will value receiving acts of service, Mm -hmm. but what you Mm -hmm. give and what you prefer to get are, can be two different things. Like, let's say for you, it might be a quality time. Mm -hmm. So even though like you're giving and the person values what you're giving, what you're, Mm -hmm. if what you're getting is not that thing that you value, then there's an incompatibility. And either like it's not that the person is just like that. They have to work 
at something and that's what they have to work at because that's what you wow spot on i took a test and that's what i have my highest trait was give acts of service it was 11 out of 12 see like Mm -hmm. almost the highest you can get (laughs) i knew it yeah yeah i guess i was uh not open book but man (laughs) hey corny i have a question for you yeah listening to your story and then carl and jasmine and then like reflecting on my experience yeah, like the um, oh yes, your your work story, like how you the way you approach success. Oh, I was like, I didn't give a story, but sure, <laughs> we, can, we can pass mine. <laughs> no, no, say it, share. Okay, what's your story? Oh, if you feel like it. What's you know. your tea, girl? Give us a tea. You can totally pass if you you already have a summary of what you guys are talking about. But, um, I guess mine is it was more of a learning experience that kind of stemmed from failure and kind of reevaluated my perception on some things. So when I first went to UCLA, it was kind of like the first time I was outside of like my parents' bubble of things. I was used to kind of being like that quote unquote top person on campus at high school. And then you go into college, everyone's the same. I wasn't used to getting talked down for being dumb because my SAT (gasps) scores weren't as good as some of the other people's SAT scores. 700? Well, I don't know. Well, we we had this twenty two, I think, when I was in twenty two. Yeah, they changed the test uh, yeah, from sixteen hundred. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they changed it to higher. So during orientation, I had a really bad time uh, because it just it felt like everyone was at that top tier, and I wasn't quite at that top tier, and there was like this smugness that I didn't really appreciate. So I didn't mm-hmm. go into, I would say, UCLA feeling too great. Um, so then when I went in. I took classes and I didn't really know what I wanted to be. So I just defaulted for like a business econ major. So I decided to take a physics class to see just let's see how smart I am. So for the first midterm, I would say it's the first step ever. I got like a 50 out of 100 and I just flat out failed. And I've never really failed at anything. And I know this is super cheesy and cliche. and It's not like the biggest thing you can suck at. But for me at that time, as an 18 year old in college like oh my god I'm not gonna pass this like maybe I'm not as smart as I thought I was gonna be so because my engineering friends who came out they're like oh yeah that was easy that was the easiest test ever Corey what did you get I'm like don't talk to me so <laughs> you're dead to me <laughs> so what I did after that was I bought the answer book to the physics book and I did every single problem in my physics book whether I had to or not from one to like 300 and something and I checked my answers and I just kept doing it over and over again I probably did every question like twice so by the time the final turned around I was the first person to finish I think I got a 98% and I was really excited because I'm like oh if I just work hard and take this seriously I'm just as good as everyone else which then made me regret not trying something harder because I did kind of want to go into engineering. I did kind of want to go into computer science, but I didn't feel like I was smart enough at that time. So overall, just looking back at that, it made me realize that if you second guess yourself or you shortchange yourself in a lot of these things, you miss out like on a huge opportunity, which I'm able to do luckily like on the side now. But that's, I would say the biggest failure that I've had, which also had kind of the biggest swing in terms of overall perception of myself. Wow. Wow. Okay, now my question for all of you. <clears throat> Do you guys think that it's a matter of framing, looking like 
when you look at success or failure, or it's just about time. Because now that you guys um, gotten a little bit older and you're looking back, reflecting back on your experience, and you're like, oh, well, actually, that wasn't really a failure. It's just it was a good learning experience. Or I, like, yeah. I think there's actually another force also, and that's mm-hmm. external pressures. Because there's also... Uh, like also competing with your ambitions to succeed at something and disappointments when you fail at something is other people's perception of how you're you should be performing not not mm-hmm. just like family but also people like in your social circle as well and i think mm-hmm. we have a lot of pressure now too because of like social media for example where people only upload perfection and they don't mm-hmm. kind of like show the process on how you know to get somewhere so like you know, maybe you'll see some friends, um, you know, posting and you're like, oh, damn, that person travels all the time. But maybe in reality, like, you don't know the, the they travel a lot because their job sends them there. Right. Mm-hmm. Not that they're on vac- mm-hmm. not that they're on this infinite vacation. Um, so then there's also kind of like um, you have this thing that that shows mostly perfection and success. And then you also have um you know, I know I remember when I was a, a business student in the early, well, in like the, the late 2000s, that there was also kind of like um, this wave of uh, or maybe I should say in the early 2000s, there was this wave of like um, phony real estate agents that were like, get rich with real estate. And they were trying to get everybody to be a real estate agent. And among one of the things that I did um, before I should have, uh, including the 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 whole um, army air force uh, preparation thing, was I also went to real estate school when I was eighteen. Um, I actually started the program when I was too young to even qualify for my license, and I did it anyway um, because you know there was this thing that was like get on it now, and there was kind of like pressure. Um, to do that and that and you know the uh, success is measured a lot of people measure success by the amount of money that you have so i mean you know there's also that external factor i uh, think man i told yep. sorry go ahead casey uh, i say i totally agree with you because like right now all my friends are in a serious relationship or getting married or like settling down buying a home and then like this me i'm like ah oh, like I- i'm not that batshit crazy at least not all the time <laughs> you know like what's wrong with me like why am i like not being able to find a mate i mean like i think i'm smart talented and you know and like mm-hmm. it's back to the comparison and then i just had a conversation with my friend he's like why are you focusing on what we are doing you know like you are you know you do you you know like mm-hmm. your time will come you do you and I think failure is contextualized. Like, who would you with that? Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, this is important too because, like, you know, talking about social media and whatnot, like, you do, you see on Instagram people posting how wonderful their lives are, especially, like, teenagers now. Like, they're they're actually very lonely. And so they they also have high expectations from their parents. Like if there, like there was um, in the news, and they talked about how there was um, a 17-year-old from Ohio who 
basically his parent he was going through depression and it was because of social media and he was just like disconnected he he this this image that he showed was about him being happy with being a football player meeting his parents expectations doing this um having the perfect body taking pictures doing this 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 and that um typical athlete but at the end of the day he was going through serious depression and his parents ended up putting him in a um, rehab facility in Malibu for about 30 days and this facility um, is for teens that are feeling you know basically depressed yeah like they have some sort of addiction and now it's like social media like how they they can't stop using snapchat um instagram and twitter and facebook and that's all they do like they rather they don't talk to anybody so i think even for them like learning about that like what yes it's it's a depression but it's also like you have to disconnect and it's and it's one of those pieces where you learn about what's happening with you and so i mean this particular facility was like it cost like um it was saying like fifty thousand just to go (gasps) for 30 days so the people that they were showing that's a lot of love his parent gave him yeah, and, and this facility, the this the it showed it was basically like white teenagers. I didn't see any minorities because you know what, that's still a lot of money to, but just the fact. And then it does say that some insurances cover that. So then that's also another thing about privilege. Like, okay, do you have this insurance that's going to cover that? But that in its sense is a whole conversation. But I just wanted to mm-hmm. shed light that, um, you know, there is this the sense of feeling of like false character and like failure Mm -hmm. with society and so you know you're talking about like societal expectations and what you feel or just how courtney shared that you know going into into the university and then you know having you know this academic rigor and being how do you you know still feel like that you you belong there like that sense of belonging and Mm -hmm. how do you show your 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 worthiness instead of you know most of the time we shy away from talking about these things but it happens in everything and even in in all these type of things. And I think for you, Casey, like, you know, you have to just live your life and live it the best that you can write, you know, every day because you have to advocate for yourself. Um, that's the most mm-hmm. important thing. Like right now, you're av- you have to advocate for yourself and live your best life um, and everything else will come along. I know it does sound like, oh, it's like written in like a, some sort of quote. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if you if you're not taking care of yourself and you're not and you're not happy with your life, then you can't expect, you know, anybody else to be happy without it. You have to make sure that you do that yourself Um, and you have a you have a community, a tribe that is here to help you um, and support you. So it's just more of like it's important for you to reflect and talk about these things. But then also remember that you're your best advocate. And your journey mm-hmm. is is your story, and this is just one yeah. chapter out of many chapters. Yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. You, think, what were you gonna say, Corn? I think stemming from like Jasmine's point too, from your original question with the factors of what goes into failure and how you deal with it. I think it does. It's actually a combination of timing and perception of what it is because I think as you get older you kind of develop into who you are as an individual and then you don't necessarily care as much about what other people think so you can have a more confident decision and I'm going to do this because I want to do this and this is what makes me happy whether if anyone decides to or not so I feel like when you're in a kid you you want to make your parents happy so you have them and that pressure that Carl was talking about then you go to college you have those 
college pressures. But then I think, at least for me, at a certain point, I was like, well, everyone is putting all this pressure on me and I'm not extremely happy. So you kind of say, F it, you throw your hands in the air and you just do what you need to do. And I think that moment was when I was able to kind of thrive because I didn't, ne- my success and my happiness does, didn't necessarily rely on somebody else, which I would say was also a large turning point because if you worry about what other people think all the time, you're not going to go very far because you're going to be too hesitant to ask for what you deserve. It's probably what hinders a majority of people nowadays with negotiations and stuff like that. So I would say that's probably my answer to your question. Hmm. Um, so I, I want to run by this article I found to share with you guys and see what you agree or disagree with it. Um, so this is building on the science of failure and it's saying here are the suggestions that you should do to kind of be successful or like what successful people say you should do. Um, the first thing they say is you should, um, start a journal so you can document your mistakes. So they say that if you keep track of these happening, then you're more likely to be aware of, you know, like if there was a, if the failure or not, like kind of keeping yourself accountable. What do you guys think? I feel like that was the opposite of what I think Jasmine's friend told us maybe a couple of weeks ago. I think that's mm-hmm. the standard way of thinking, but I liked, I think it was Roseanne, right? Mm-hmm. Jasmine her perception of focusing on the strengths to thrive in what you're good at because maybe the stuff that you failed at, you take a piece of it, but it shouldn't be like your primary focus. That's a really good counter argument. I mean, like people always think the journaling is always good. So what you're saying, you should focus on your success. Or like when you journal the failure, don't journal it as a fail, journal it as what you learned. So instead today I learned that I should do this. So you have more of a positive way on it versus like I overspent or I went over my budget by $50. Like that doesn't really help oh. you. And now I have a question for you. Anecdotal, nothing proven for sure. But a while ago I had, I was working with this one coworker um, like a few years back and he was just so obnoxious to work with because he was so overconfident in his success. Like, he's one of those who's like, oh, I can do it. I'm good. I'm good. But he didn't deliver. Like, he clearly <laughs> failed at, at the project. But he was just so, like, adamant about being successful that in his mind, he was very successful. And all of us around him were saying, um, no, no, you're, you're not doing a good job. <laughs> So when I had a one-on-one with him, I was like basically telling him, like, I don't like working with you. Not because I don't like this person, but because this, this, and this doesn't work when we work together. And that makes stresses me out. And he's like, what? I thought you did so good. Like, I thought you did such a great job. Like, I don't let failure affect me and da-da-da. So how do you – it seems like he's advocating your advice about reframing your experience. Like, how do you know that you're not delusional into your failure? When you're not accomplishing anything. Like, I think if you can explicitly write down what your goals are and give it uh-huh. a timestamp, like, I'm going to do this by this date. If you don't meet it, then you did not succeed in that thing. But then there's a lot of people who kind of dance around it by never putting a date to their accomplishments or never giving it um, any any date at all. 
So, or, or even determining, is this a short-term goal, a medium or a long-term goal? And what ends up happening is that they just keep on delaying and delaying and delaying. Oh, I couldn't do this because of this other person. Oh, I couldn't do this because this unexpected thing happened. Oh, I can't do this because I'm sick. Oh, I can't do this because, because, because. And then they just get inundated in all these excuses for not accomplishing their goals. And that kind of like justifies, it's like justifying them their, their own actions. And they say it so much that mm-hmm. they believe it. Um, whereas like for me, I'm, I think I'm kind of like the opposite. I'm kind of like the the silent completer you know what i mean like i'll give myself a specific date that i want to do something i finish it and then i'm like next you know what i mean i just move on to the next thing hmm. what do you guys what do you think Courtney and um jasmine uh, i think it i agree with carl that it does depend on the output but i would say the strengths is identifying the failure and figuring out what to do to make you stronger type of thing. So it's having a positive spin on it. It's not just ignoring it entirely. So well, he did if, have a positive spin. Like I'm talking about, like he had a really high positive spin about his performance. But what was his output though? Like if you can't quantify it, then you like it doesn't mean anything. Like you can say a whole bunch of stuff and not do anything. So like if you mm-hmm. can document it in a fact that he's not being accurate in your statement, then as people who work with him for him or is his boss, it's your job as the leader to kind of square him off and to provide this is an example of what you did and this is an example of why it didn't work out. We're happy to work on solutions and then we can do whatever the positive things that they said. Mm-hmm. Hmm. If his p-value was not greater than or less than 0.05, <laughs> he failed. <laughs> oh, talk about introducing stats in there. So this is not related, but I think it is, so it's going to make it so. <clears throat> There's actually a lot of studies to show that people who pursue happiness actually become less happy because the stress of trying to be happy actually creates misery. So, Carl, when you were saying how, oh, you set yourself goals, I wonder if our, if that in itself is bad or, like, maybe bad for some people. I think bad like, for... you had. I think bad for some people because it doesn't work with everyone. Not everyone is as organized. You know what I mean? Like, I'll show you. Wait. He's extremely disciplined. <laughs> I keep yeah. notebooks. This is graphing paper. Mm-hmm. I make check boxes yeah. and I list everything that I have to do for the classes that I teach, for ology, for the classes that I'm taking, for other personal stuff, for work stuff. So like I I feel good when I check those boxes off. And when I wow. don't, I kind of like punish myself by by writing the word roll or push. And then I have to move that. Courtney's laughing oh. because this is like our language, I guess. <laughs> but you know, like I I have I move it to like another date and then it just continues to accumulate and then I feel good when I just cross it off, you know what I mean? Do you know I what's also that. really good? And notebooks, hearts, and anime pictures and drawings that will make you very happy too. That's what I do. <laughs> I draw my notebooks me too, and I draw flowers. And Carl makes fun of me. I have these little. I I always draw little things or hearts or there's like this flower that I make all the time, and so he already knows that it's mine. <laughs> so I think that like where you were talking about Casey, that people who are in this constant pursuit of happiness are are more unhappy i think it's because they notice you know what i mean 
it they're, they're not saying i'm happy but i'm just looking to be happier they're like on a voyage to get happy and then they notice every minute of it i would say too the difference i maybe maybe carl you can correct me if i'm wrong the difference is between us being like hyper organized and having strict goals is more of like that's what we do to make us happy it's i think the people who are striving for happiness have like this ideal in their head that they're just going to continually continually strive for when really is just in the moments on a day-to-day and not being able to recognize that which i think is hard for people to grasp because they're like oh is this what it is to be at my happiest because everyone thinks that oh when they're excited about something when they're at that peak then that's what that peak should be when realistically you can't be at that height all the time right Mm -hmm. well it was like i i was joking with carl and i was like what if you just like there's a day where you just kind of chill you know like you don't think about mm-hmm. work you don't think about anything and like that was not something that he you know it was like no that, that, that creates stress for you yeah that would create stress for him like for me wow. it was like important for me to disconnect so i thought that was it was interesting but that's how you know we balance each other out in that in that capacity because yeah. i'm like okay now it's time to like let's do a little trip and explore a new place and and so we're open mm-hmm. to that but see, yeah, Jasmine, my, I'm like you. In in my <laughs> mind, it's like okay, if we're gonna have a chill time, then I'm I have I'm gonna reward you allocate time for it. I'm gonna re- <laughs> I'm gonna re- that's the goal, right? So the goal is to have enough time for chill time. So then I work harder ahead of chill time so that I can have chill time, and then I'm satisfied. Mm-hmm. This just like stressing me out. <laughs> just think about how you plan that. You know, the, the last podcast when we were with the guest with Matt, he was like telling us about how he was able to go to school for free and all the things he did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I swear to God, I was having rashes while listening to him because like <laughs> I had to talk to people, had to apply for this. I was just paid just so I don't have to talk to them. This is way too many like checkbox for me. <gasps> yeah. But those are well, the like, people who like him, like he got his whole school paid for, you know, and he's helping yeah, students, very, you know, get. Oh get their schooling paid for as well um i just had hives just thinking about it i mean like i don't know about you guys but i mean getting along with people has been a big hurdle for me like i hate it for the longest time like even just going to the mall by myself when i was younger it would give me like anxiety and just like recently i was able to go on a date with myself treat myself in a restaurant go to a movie and pretend that like i'm dating me and it's like it's really fun actually when you're in your own delusion mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's called self-care self-care okay what's the thing between being selfish and self-care in the context of failure I mean, I think self-care is a, is how you reward yourself, you know, for just all your hard work. You appreciate yourself more of like that reflective moment where it's like this is an opportunity for you to do whatever makes you happy. If that's, you know, going for a walk or going for some for some women or, you know, they want to go to the the salon or something or get a manicure and pedicure. For me, self-care is like let me just go for a walk or let me just connect with nature or do some or read a book or something and for other people mm-hmm. it's very different like for some men you know they might for self-care to them is going to a tattoo shop and getting a tattoo and that's like their spa um you mm-hmm. know or doing something else or i don't know like 
they could like making chocolates yeah making a chocolate not rolling them over yeah and so yeah. and you do totally self care so i think like that's that's very important that that you cause, <laughs> like i had mentioned before like you have to advocate for yourself and what you need uh-huh. because nobody else is going to know what you need but you your body talks to you you know if you need to sleep earlier maybe you need you know you you started you started watching shows or things and you were going to sleep at midnight but you actually need at least 7 hours of sleep so if you're only sleeping Four hours, you need to do better because your performance is going to also show. How's that thing from being selfish, though? I see them both as, you know, I've I've expressed how I feel about the word selfishness and how it has a negative connotation, but I don't see that. Because when you're selfish, then that means that you just care about yourself, right? First, ahead of the needs of others. Um, and... I think self-care is kind of like, like selfish is like a state of being. And then self-care is like the thing you do that's selfish. So that's how I see it. And I know it sounds weird because mm. selfish usually has a negative connotation. But if we replace the word with like gummy bears, for example, <laughs> maybe it won't sound so bad. Hmm. I what think selfish, think, I think selfish is... I think selfish and self-care, they could be synonymous, but one has the negative connotation to Carl's point and one is a positive one. So in the negative one, it's more about what you do for yourself that negatively affects other people, which is when it's used versus self-care is when you take care of yourself, but it affects no one other than yourself in a positive manner. But you know, you know what I call it when someone takes care of themselves first and harms others in doing it? To me, that's kind of greed and not so much selfish really i feel like greed is more like an external thing that you want to get more like money food sex a home like i feel like it's more material how can you explain a bit further more about that yeah because i guess when you think about like on, on that same note like greed is like I, I have, but I want what you have too. So I'm like taking from mm-hmm. you. So then I consider that to be harm. So it's not just like physical harm, but material harm. I'm thinking like in terms of assets. You know what I mean? Hmm. Huh. Okay. So I don't know. It's kind of like what what else could be a more extreme version of selfish? Um. Okay. Well. I have an incident that I met the other day. And I want to share with you guys. You let me know if it's a classic sign of selfish. Because I think it is. Because I don't think it's self-care. Because I feel like those two are different concepts. Mm-hmm. So I was in the sauna. And the sick guy came in. And he started like hacking. Like oh, like really like gross, disgusting hacking. And like all of us in the sauna were like, um, I hope it's not going to get on us. You know, we kind of gave him the look. But he didn't get the fact that it was gross. So one guy gave him a towel, and he's like, oh, thank you, and just kept hacking. And then it just got so bad that we all left. And eventually he left. And then while we all came back to Asana, one of the person was like, he just had a huge, he was, was so angry. He was like, this guy is such a dick. Like, why would you, like, cough in front of everyone, and I don't want to get sick, and he's going to get me sick. And he just went on and on about how, like, 
that dude just totally messed up for everyone because he was coughing and he felt like he was going to get sick and that was not acceptable. So like that conversation started uh, and then it kind of evolved to the guy finally saying the point. He's like, in this world, you have to be selfish. Like that's one thing that I learned that I need to be selfish about my needs because if I'm not selfish for my needs, no one else would care for me. Okay. And um, so then I would say that if he was really sick, because there he could have been coughing and have been sick, or coughing and not have been sick. If he was coughing mm-hmm. and was sick and wasn't coughing properly into something like a towel, then I wouldn't necessarily call him selfish, but I would call him inconsiderate. That's the pro- that's probably the word that I would have used. Um, if he was coughing and then uh, he wasn't really sick, then the people who were bothered by it were maybe the ones who were being inconsiderate because maybe he has like i don't know like some sort of lung condition like copd or something and him coughing isn't really gonna you know contaminate everyone but it's just kind of like a thing that he you know that he does so i would probably have used the word inconsiderate instead of selfish these words are confusing me. They're so, <laughs> they're so the nuances. Because I consider his actions selfish, like as per the, the socially accepted negative connotation that the word selfish has. Failure. Mm. Well, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Okay, well, there was two more points. Oh. Yep. There was two more points I want to bring up, okay. and then Go for about, it. and then like, we can, before. and then we'll wrap up. Yes, sir. Okay, the third point: the saying after writing your journal, you should review your mis- past mistakes. And they say like when you record and review them, it's something about accountability and like progress. Would you guys agree with that? I think so. I think that's what we were saying. I think we jumped ahead your bullet points. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, and then the last point is view your decisions as an experiment. Like, we frame it so that it's you, that's something you're experiencing or trying. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that was it. Cool. Well, we're actually at the 50 minute mark in the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we would now like to move on to the bottom line. So let's play rock, paper, scissors, see who gets the question. All right, so ready, rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Shoot. Ooh. Oh, Jasmine it's gets Jasmine. it. We all got scissors except for Jasmine. She had rock. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So my question to all of you is, what is one, from this conversation, from this insightful conversation, what is one strategy that you are hoping to implement this year to help you with, um, you know, valuing failure in 2018. Mm-hmm. Let's say Carl. So what's a strategy that I'm going to employ to kind of like reframe failures? Valuing failure. To valuing failure. I think overall, it's just perceiving it as a learning opportunity. Um, overall, that's my bottom line. Oh, and no, you can't use the same response. 
<gasps> Not fair. I want to go first. <laughs> it's too late. Carl really took it. Courtney? So I'll go next. Oh, okay, just kidding. <laughs> You're going to leave Casey with nothing to say. <laughs> Thanks, Jasmine. We're not friends anymore. <laughs> I'm friending you on Facebook. <laughs> Ooh. Um, I would say let the, like, it's okay to experience the pain of failure, but it's the most important part of that experience is how you get over it. So don't let the initial sting take you down for longer than needed. Identify when it's useful, when it's not useful, and when it's no longer useful to you to motivate you. That's when you shift your perception and you move forward. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. And now, Casey? Yay! My turn. (laughs) Um, Actually, I started implementing this about a few months ago. Uh, based on advice that I received. Um, so what I started doing was writing love letters to myself when things get really rough or like when I have really bad dates or when I'm rejected or just like things go bad. And so when it goes really bad, I I, I name like my ego, like my little buddy. So I like, hey, dear little buddy, I love you. Just know that you're surrounded by friends and just know that this is just a stage and like, I just start writing and writing and writing and afterward I would feel so much better and it kind of it like allowed me to kind of a cathartic release without letting me taking it personally um and then I started if it if that doesn't work I I go to my best friends and I start like telling him and he would always give me good advice and so that's one thing that I've learned that has helped me with mitigating you know the sting of the failure Hmm. For me, this year, I'm what I'm learning and I'm trying to add to to failures is to not, um, you know, put fault or blame. You know, mm-hmm. I think is more of like there's like fault and responsibility, and so, you know, thinking about those components and in what roles or different pieces of my life I'm I'm looking at when I'm when I see that there's there's a conflict. So I'm thinking about more about not blaming or putting fault, but more of the responsibility and pieces of it that I that I'm you know I play a part in. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Um, and now we would like to turn to our listeners. What do you think? Are there any topics you'd like to hear on the show, or would you like to join us for an upcoming episode, or are you interested in sponsoring the Organon podcast? Make sure to send us your thoughts at info@ologyresearchgroup.org, and also make sure to check us out on Twitter at Twitter handle Ology Research. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great week. <laughs>